Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. And what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to uh, find Revelation. It's the easy book. It's the last one. All right. And just put a, a marker right there. And then uh, turn back a couple pages and find Romans. And if you can find Romans chapter 11. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm very excited to uh, be starting this series. And the series is entitled, The Beginning of the end times. You know, this past uh, week I had the opportunity to go and visit some friends, and uh, one of them was my aunt. And as we uh, walked into the house, um, she said she was just finishing an episode of Gunsmoke. <laughs> and uh, I thought, man, you know, I like uh, Gunsmoke. And, and then she said, you know, I, I kind of wish I was born back in that day and I, I, I lived in the, in the old West days. And then I thought, uh, you know, um, many of us, have you ever wished that you could have lived in the Bible days? Like seeing Peter walk on the water or seeing Jesus and his crew uh, watch Jesus heal? Well, what's interesting is I can say to you congratulations because you are living in Bible time. You are living in a time where more is going to happen that's in the Word of God that has been prophesied um, than on any other topic. You know, it's, it's true that today in 2019, we are on the doorsteps of Christ's return. He's on his way, folks. Um, you know, I think about uh, things that are prophesied in Scripture and uh, things that are happening uh, today currently. Uh, for example, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Turkey, the, the nation of Turkey, has just purchased um, some Russian missiles that are equivalent to our U.S. Patriot missiles, and they're being delivered tomorrow. And now, you know, why in the world would I talk about Turkey and Russia? Well, the, in the book of Ezekiel, in the 38th chapter, it talks about a war where Russia comes against Israel, and one of their cohorts, or one of those that are in the, the group that Russia will take against Israel, is Turkey. Now, for many years, uh, you know, Turkey currently is a member of NATO, and this isn't something that anyone in NATO would be doing. Um, but it should not come as a surprise to those of us who read Scripture because God's Word is true. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that your message, your words will be heard. God, that uh, I will lift you high that I will lift your words, that I will give the message that you've delivered to me, Lord. I pray that each heart would receive it as you have intended it for them. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, now as we go into a, a series like this, the beginning of the end times, I want to, and I'll probably remind you this uh, the first couple of weeks, but I want you to remember three 
principles. And I want you to keep these in mind over everything that I say to you. And the, the first principle is this. Uh, don't take my word for it. All right? Matter of fact, if you um, write down everything I say and say, you know what, I don't believe him. It's okay. Uh, because what I want you to do is I want you to go and prove this for yourself. I don't want you to just listen because I'm a pastor, because uh, I'm up here. I want you to take this. I want you to go home and spend time on it. Um, the, Jesus told us many times as he talked about the end times, he says, be not deceived. He said it in Matthew, he said it in Mark, he said it in Luke. And the challenge for us as Christians is not to be deceived. And deception can come in many different ways. And, and, and one thing that you want to understand is when it said, be not deceived, when Jesus said that, it was an imperative command. It wasn't, you know, it, you know, if you think about it, no, it was somebody is coming to deceive you, don't be deceived. Now, we know who the person is that wants to deceive us, and that is the enemy, that's Satan himself. He is the deceiver. And so we should embrace a verse like 2 Timothy 2.15, and it says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now when I read a, a verse of scripture like that, I think about many of the military schools that I had attended. And I remember one in particular where the first day, the first hour, the instructor starts talking about a, a subject that I had never heard. I, I probably should have, but I hadn't. And, and I noticed that there was three or four, there's about 16 of us in this class, there were three or four of my classmates that were like very up on this information. And I was kind of amazed, I was kind of impressed. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, these guys, all right, they're on the ball. So on one of the breaks, I asked them, I said, hey, um, you know, I mean, I haven't seen this material before, I haven't even, and yet you spoke on it with, with almost as good as the instructor. He goes, yeah, that was in the pre-course material we were supposed to read. And I realized that I hadn't read the pre-course material. I'd, I'd gotten the pre-course material. I knew where it was. I knew I was supposed to read it. But I didn't. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, don't be like Ronnie when it comes to the pre-course material. And I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of pre-course material out there. There's 66 books of it. And what God wants us to do is to get into that as Christians. You know, uh, we need to be Christians that were identified in Acts chapter uh, 17 and verse 11. And it says this, Now these Jews, and it's talking about those in Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examine, listen to this, examining the scriptures daily. Now, if you um, have a note taker with you, I want you to um, pull that out. Well, I thought it was on here. Maybe it, it didn't get printed. Um, but uh, you'll notice, maybe it's somewhere else. Nope, it's not. All right, um, on the upcoming events, every Tuesday night while I'm preaching this series, we are going to open up our home to what um, I'm calling a going deeper Bible study. And the reason why is I have way more information than I can absolutely present over the next many weeks. Uh, actually, uh, two and a half months we'll be going through this series. And so I would expect that if you don't already, you'll have questions. And I would encourage you to join us on uh, Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our house. And, and I'll make sure that that address gets uh, published so that everybody could be there. Why? Because we want to be like the Bereans. We want to be like those that Luke uh, encouraged that 
um, were examining the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. So again, don't take my word for it. And another thing that you can do as a very practical step is that you can read the entire book of Revelation. Now I know you're thinking, oh my goodness, an entire book of the Bible? You know what? I believe it only takes you two hours to read through the book of Revelation. And if you're like me, I love technology. And so there's a couple of things that I use when, um, and, and I've already been using on this. Uh, number one is um, I use the app called Uversion. And I don't know if you've realized this, but if you pull up a scripture at the bottom, it's got this little play button, and you just hit play, it will start reading the scripture to you. This is very helpful when you're taking a shower. This is very helpful when you're getting ready in the morning. Why? Because you're getting to hear. And so I've gone through Revelations a couple times already before even stepping up here this Sunday. And my favorite right now that I'm using is, if, if you've ever used a, a thing called Audible, but it's, it's books that somebody has read out and, and they're in Audible form. I love this. Well, th- when I got Audible years ago, the very first, they, they give you one free purchase. I don't know if this is still true today. I think it is, but they give you one free purchase. And I found this one called the Audible Bible. And um, I, I mean, it, it's like actors that you know, Gary Sinise, uh, is one of the actors that's, that's reading the scripture. But um, what happens is they've, they've added soundtrack to it. And so reading through the book of Revelation, as he's talking about um, being in heaven and seeing Jesus, uh, it's amazing when you add a little bit of sound to that. So uh, if I were you, I would take some practical steps and I would either just personally read the book of Revelation. I would uh, listen to it with your, uh, any app that you want or any way if you get it on CD or disc or eight-track play, it doesn't matter. If you got it, uh, I would listen to the book of Revelation. And if you have the opportunity, I would certainly uh, jump into and check out the, uh, that version on Audible because it's an incredible resource. So the first thing is don't take my word for it. Dig in, find out for yourself. And is what I'm saying true or not? The second thing I would tell you is this, that we are only going to under- understand things in the context of the framework that we understand. Daniel 12.4 says this, um, that they, in the later days, that they will run to and fro. Well, when Daniel said that, matter of fact, I would believe when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were reading that, when it said they would run to and fro, guess what they thought? That they would run to and fro. Maybe in front of a chariot, maybe behind a chariot, maybe they let the horse do the run for them. But that's what they thought of when they said run to and fro. Today, when we hear that that they will run to and fro in the last days, do we think about running? No. What do we think about? We think about airplanes and being able to travel intercontinentally um, on a daily basis. And not only that, but he said that knowledge will increase. Now, when we've heard the words knowledge will increase, you know, we just thought, well... People might be getting smarter. And then in the last um, 50 years, as technology has come onto the scene, it means a very different thing than what Daniel said when he said knowledge will increase. It meant something very different in 1970 when somebody read and knowledge will increase. Today and over the next couple of weeks, I want to introduce to you some of the things that, that technology, that this increase in knowledge is going to bring to us and that as Christians we should be aware of this because it is the word of God playing out. I want you to understand that some of the things I'm going to tell you um, are what I call raw knowledge. 
All right, I believe they're true. I believe they're backed up in Scripture. But um, it's not quite as cut and dry as John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a little, there's some nuances to it. And so some of the things I'm going to tell you are uh, different than what you've believed or you've heard or you've ever understood. And as that comes up, I, again, point you back to 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study, dig in, find out exactly what this is. And is it true? And the last point I would tell you is this. Not just take my word for it. uh, Don't take my word for it. Not just uh, understand based on the framework of how we see things. Because the way that we see things today is very different than just 30 years ago. And I promise you five years from now, if the Lord tarries, it will be very different. The third thing I would tell you is this. That we need to keep the first things first. And what do I mean by that? Well, think about Noah. In Noah's day, Enoch was a prophet and Enoch was talking about the fact that, that God was going to come to the earth with 10,000 of his saints. The book of Jude tells us this. But, you know, as Noah was thinking about that, he wasn't really worried about that problem because he had something that he needed to worry about right away. And what was that? A flood. And so for 120 years, while he knew that Enoch had prophesied that the Lord was going to come back with 10,000s of 10,000s, saints he needed to take care of getting the ark built and so when i talk about keeping the first things first one thing that i want to caution you is that we are always going to use the whole counsel of the word of god so while we will start in the book of revelation we will always use other scriptures matter of fact many people read revelations and get scared They're like oh you know this doesn't doesn't sound right this certainly doesn't sound like something that i would see you know in heaven but i'm here to tell you that it is And so we are going to use the whole counsel of the Word of God. And here is my charge to you as individuals. That you make sure of your salvation. You don't don't want to finish the day out without being sure about your salvation. But as I start sharing with you what God has in store, when I start sharing with you about God's judgment on this earth, you will not want to be one of those that are here for that. And the only way that that can happen is, is if you are to make sure your salvation. You see, the greatest danger of all persecution was subtle heresy. It's where um, the word just gets twisted. That's what Satan did to Adam and Eve. He, just, he took God's word and he twisted it, changed it just a little bit. And what happens is false teachers come onto the scene the apostles told us be wary of false teachers jesus told us be wary of false teachers i'm going to tell you be wary of false teachers why we want to make god's word count we want it to stand up on its own i believe that as we read through the bible that it clearly lays out that jesus taught to expect him at any moment now i can say that and we can hear those words but the question is are we living like that now here's what i know imminent return of somebody looks like when um i would uh, be with my sister and my mom and dad had gone out and they were coming back to the house and i had misbehaved 
And I could see them park the car, and then I could see them walk up to the house, and then I could hear the key. See, that was imminent. I knew they were about to walk through that door. Well, Jesus says the same thing. He says, I'm coming. I'm coming back. You know, as we look through history and you think about the Reformation, the Reformation got soteriology correct. Now, what in the world am I talking about soteriology? Soteriology is just a fancy word to say the study of salvation. See, before the Reformation happened, the church had become owned by the, or, or controlled by the state, and they changed what salvation looked like. And so it was during the Reformation that uh, soteriology went back to salvation by faith. You've probably heard of a guy by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the, what we look to in history, um, but he, it was what happened to him. He realized that, you know what, I am not going to accept what's being preached from the pulpit. He went and found out on his own. He lived out 2 Timothy 2.15. He lived out Acts 17.11. And he realized that he was being taught a false doctrine. That there was no works that needed to happen. That our salvation came by faith alone. And many other Christians realized that too. And during the Reformation, they were willingly burnt at the stake. They could have stopped it at any moment just by renouncing the fact that they were saved by faith. Who was it that was burning them? It wasn't the government. It was the church. But one of the things that the Reformation came up short on was eschatology, and that is the study of end times. That's what the next 10 weeks is all about, is eschatology. And so um, I walk into this subject with a couple of things that we need to understand. And the first one is this, that prophecies are meant to be understood. You know, our God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't put things out there. And I know you read the book of Revelation, you say, I don't know, Ronnie, let it doesn't seem straightforward. But when we do what 2 Timothy 2 says and we study, you'll find out that it is as plain as day. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, it reads this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But if you keep on reading verse 4 through 6, it says this, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now think about this. Um, there are Christians that are going to be surprised when Jesus returns. Maybe I should say it this way. There are professing Christians that are going to be surprised when Jesus returns you know one way that i kind of keep in mind of the way that we look at this as we we start digging in is i think about daniel 12 8 and 9 and, and i'll just read this to you it says and this is daniel speaking i heard but i did not understand then i said oh my lord what shall be the outcome of these things and he said go your way daniel for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end and as he, he's saying this, Daniel, he's seeing it, he's hearing what God has says, but he doesn't quite understand this. And it reminds me of this uh, past week as I'm over in West Virginia, and uh, when we would go out on the back porch, there was this beautiful view. 
And this beautiful view, as, as you can see there, uh, had mountains. And what you can't see on a two-dimensional picture is that there are multiple mountains there. So if you'll advance to the next picture, see, I, I put lines there so you can see each one of those is a different mountain. And so this is the way the prophets, when they would look, they would see these different events that would happen on each one of those mountains. But what's interesting is, go to the next one. So here's Daniel, and what could he see? He could see one mountain right in front of him that, that was Jesus coming and being born, the Messiah. And then he also could see where he would die on the cross. And then there's another mountain far off where he sees the Antichrist. He sees um, things that are going to be happening, and he, and he even sees about the return of the Lord. But what Daniel can't see is what's in the valley there. I don't know if you can read that, but that first valley is called the Valley of the Church. That's what I want to talk to you about today is the valley of the church. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 23 and I'm going to finish in verse 25. And it says this, And even they, and it's referring to the Jewish people, if they do not continue in their unbelief will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, and he, now he's talking about the church. He's talking about the, the, not the Jewish people, but the church is being grafted in. In verse 24. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those or these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive branch? It's talking about the fact that the Jewish people, God is not finished with them. And it's talking about the fact that um, the Jewish people rejected the Messiah when he came 2,000 years ago. They crucified the Messiah when he came 2,000 years ago. And so now as we look over the panorama of history, we are in what's called the valley of the church. The church is active and alive. The church took up what the Jewish people rejected, and that was the Messiah. You know, today there are over 350 messianic churches in Israel. There are over a million Jewish believers here in the United States. God's not through with the nation of Israel. In verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Now, anytime that you see in the Bible, you read that it's a, a mystery, it's because it's something up to that point in time that, that no one understood. Matter of fact, as the prophets looked, they didn't understand that the, the children of Israel were going to be put off to the side and that the church was going to come in. They didn't see the church. There are no prophecies about the church by the prophets. In verse 25, lest ye be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. And Jesus talked about this. And how long is that hardening going to be there? The verse says this, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right now, we are living in what's called the time of the Gentiles, and that is the church age. And at some point, the fullness of the Gentiles, the, the, the church is going to have done its purpose, and God is going to pull that church out, and he's going to finish dealing with the nation of Israel. You know, the pinnacle of anti-Israel philosophies is a heresy called uh, replacement theology. And replacement theology tries to say that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. 
Now, it's, I can understand when I think about how that, and back in the Reformation age, that if they looked at the prophecies of the nation of Israel and what it would look like at the end times, I can understand how they would think that, you know what, this is just allegorical. This is just, you know, it doesn't really mean that the nation of Israel is going to be a kingdom and going to be and people, in, I mean, because they had been conquered. They had been, um, in AD 70, Jerusalem was over, overthrown. And the Jewish people were driven to the uttermost parts of the earth. So while the church was going to the uttermost part of the earth, earth for salvation purposes, the Jewish people were ran there because of their rejection of the Messiah. And I want you to hear this, church, that prophecy, the topic of prophecy, really can be a great evangelism tool. Matter of fact, if we understood prophecy as God had intended it would put some urgency in our faith and so I ask you this forget the ideal that Bible prophecy cannot be understood and let's start digging in you know over the next couple weeks we're going to plunge into a period of time about which the Bible has more to say than any other period in history including the time that Jesus walked on the earth and what that means is there is an imminent return of Christ he's coming back If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 1. Let me read uh, verse 1 to you. Verse 1 says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how it opens up. Now, the problem is a lot of times we see things in the English language and we never really understand what they mean. So when it says the word revelation, the Greek word is apocalypsis. Now, I don't know about you, but if you watch any kind of movies, you're going to understand that they take the word apocalypse and they think about... The, in the battles, and they think about what, you know, the, the different seals of judgments. And while those things are true, we, we miss the whole point of the apocalypse. We miss the whole point because revelation, all it means in, when it says apocalypse is the unveiling. So we could call this the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the 22 chapters from Revelation are. They are the unveiling of Jesus Christ himself. And and I'll continue reading that verse. It says, Which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. That's the man who wrote this book, the Revelation. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now, here's what's interesting about the book of Revelation that no other book delivers. And that is, it has a unique promise. It's the only book of the Bible promising a special blessing to the reader. Join me in verse 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now think about that. Who's going to get a blessing? The person who reads the book of Revelation. So I would encourage you that uh, read through this book as many times as you can over the next couple of weeks. Listen to it as many times as you can, because just for doing that, you're going to get a blessing. And so there's three people, the person who reads, the person who hears, and the person who does. Takes action based on what's said. You know, last week I brought up a concept that uh, true Christianity isn't dying, it's cultural Christianity that's dying. And, And the reality is this, that true Christianity embraces the literal, bodily, visible return of Jesus Christ. We're not hoping for, uh, we, we don't live in the millennial reign. You know, God is not on the throne in this earth right now. 
But one day Jesus Christ will return and he will take his rightful place in a town called Jerusalem. Without an, a belief in an imminent return, our faith is shaken. You know, uh, one of the church, early church fathers, Augustine, embraced that allegory, eschatology. He thought it was just a picture. You know, I, that's not really what he meant. Um, I'm just telling you, again, I'm bringing my bias to this. And my bias is this, that the Bible says what it means and means what it says. I believe that God put all the words there. They're very literal the problem is that when we look at it in the context as we understand it, sometimes we can't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. But that doesn't change the fact that it's the Word of God and that it's true. You see, without an imminent return of Jesus, our faith gets robbed of its vitality and its urgency. Have you ever watched a football game and for three quarters and a half they do nothing? There's no score. And then all of a sudden, there's five minutes or two minutes, the two-minute warning sounds, and then each team scores once. Why? Because the clock was ticking, it was running out of time, and the urgency for what they were doing changed. Well, the same thing is true for us as Christians. We need to have some urgency in our daily walk. We need to have some urgency when we deal with our friends and our relatives. Because one day, Jesus is coming back. And if you want to uh, see the book of Revelation, it gives us its own outline in verse 19. And it says this. There's three things, three parts to the outline. First one is this. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. That's chapter 1. This is the vision of Christ. If you read through chapter 1, you'll see the, what, what Christ looks like right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And the second part of this outline is those that are. That's the seven churches. I'm going to very briefly, and, and folks, I won't be able to go verse by verse through the book of Revelation. That would take us a year, if not longer than that. And so uh, what, what I encourage you is take advantage of the Going Deeper Bible study and join us on Tuesday nights and find out um, what's in between a lot of the points and a lot of the words. But chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation talk about the seven churches. And then the third part of the outline of the book of Revelation is this, and those that are to take place after this. That's chapters 4 through 22. Folks, uh, the church is gone at this point. What, you, what we're going to read about in, in, in those verses, um, you know, we're going to get observed from heaven. We want, we're not going to be down here and seeing that. And here's probably the most promising. If we read verse 20 in Revelation chapter 1, it says this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. See, the keys to the book of Revelation are self-contained. There'll be nothing that, is, that we read about that the Bible, using the whole counsel of the Word of God, doesn't explain it to us. And so for that, we're going to rely on the whole counsel of the Word of God. So let's dig in. Let's talk about the seven churches. Now, if you read through the book of Revelation, you're going to find this number seven come up a lot. Matter of fact, it's a hepatic structure. You're going to hear about seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. After that, you're going to hear about seven lampstands, seven spirits, seven stars, seven lamps, and seven promises to the overcomer. It won't stop there because you're going to hear about beasts with seven horns, seven eyes, or seven angels, and seven different thunders. You're going to read about seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, or plagues, seven mountains, and seven kings. 
but it doesn't stop there. If you dig in, you'll find that there's seven features. There's seven different divisions of each of the letters to the churches. There's seven years of judgment. There's seven I am, seven doxologies, and seven new things that will be revealed. I'm saying all that to tell you this. There's going to be a lot of sevens. All right, and before we dig into the seven churches, let me give you four views about each of these churches that you need to understand. And the first thing is that each one of these churches was a literal church. There were seven different churches uh, that were in the area of what's called Turkey today, and uh, each one of these churches received a letter from John. Not only that, but each one of these letters is designed for us personally. If you read at the end of each letter to each church it says this he that hath ears let him hear now just do this with me right now put your hands up here if if you've got one each one of these letters are for you it's designed for you to read personally and to apply to your own life and then the third way is that we read these verses and and each of these letters to the churches and we accept them corporately because every church this, in America, in any foreign country, will fall into one of these seven categories of churches. And what happens is, you'll find out that we as Christians probably fall into one of those seven categories as a Christian. If you come by this Tuesday night, I'll show you each one of those seven different divisions. And help show you how you can outline and you can see and then understand and apply this to you personally. Because that's what we need to do. And then the last thing, and I, and I really won't spend a lot of time on this, and that is um, you can view the churches prophetically. And what's amazing is that God, through the Holy Spirit, and, and you understand who is writing these letters, these letters to the churches. It's Jesus Christ himself. So these aren't John's words that he's thinking, you know what, uh, I think I'm going to tell the church of Ephesus this. This is what Jesus said, hey, I want you to tell this to the church of Ephesus, John. John, this is what I want you to tell to the church of Thyatira. And if we are to apply this personally, this is what Jesus wants you and me to hear. So let's uh, read chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, there's three things I'm going to point out to each, each one of these uh, churches, and that's this. First of all, there's some recognition. There's going to be some criticism. And then there's going to be an admonition. And so the recognition to the church of Ephesus was this, that he recognized, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how that you cannot bear with those who are evil. Go and read the book of Ephesians. That was Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus. And now this is years later. And what you'll see is that the church held up. They listened to the words that Paul had given to them. Continuing on in verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But now here comes the criticism. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You see... This church, the church of Ephesus, chose doctrine over devotion. You know, and it's easy for us in the church to fall into that trap where we fall in love with what we know about church and we don't love our Savior as much as that. You know, that's why we have so many different churches on this road. 
in this town. Because we held on to the doctrine more than we held on to our Savior. Church of Ephesus showed that. In verse 5, it says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And now he gives him the admonition. He says, Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. In verse 6, Yet you have this, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were those who abused the power of the church. And Jesus said, which I also hate. In verse 7, here it is. He who has an ear, if you touched one earlier, it's you. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, and which is in the paradise of God. Well, if we jump over to the, the next church, the church of Smyrna. Verse 8, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. That here comes a recognition. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Jesus says, I know that you are poor. But he doesn't stop there because he says, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. This isn't John speaking, folks. This is Jesus Christ. But he gives them an admonition. Do not fear the future and trials. There is no correction, no criticism. He gives them an admonition to say, hey, things are going to get rough. But don't fear that. Verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days and you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit of the church says. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Brings us to the third church, Pergamum. Verse 12, and to the angel of the church of Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent, if not, I will come to you soon, and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Talking about the word of God. In verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, the recognition to the church of Pergamon was this, that they hold fast to the faith. Good job. Thank you. Keep doing this. But his criticism was that they allowed Balaam and the teachings of Balaam to get involved. And if you're not familiar with who Balaam was, but Balaam was a hired prophet. And he was actually hired to come and curse the children of Israel. Maybe you know him because when he went to go and curse the children of Israel after God told him not to, his donkey talked to him. Because there was an angel standing in front of him. And what has happened is, the spirit of Balaam hasn't left. Because there's many people who use the church. They use the church to gain for themselves. Not only that, but then they talked about idol. One of the things as I read through scripture, it always amazes me how God delivered, how God uh, was there with them and for them, and yet they would turn to idols. 
And then you see it talks about they practice sexual immorality. Folks, the church is not immune to this. Pornography, affairs, and divorce are just as alive and well in the church as it is outside of these walls. Don't be discouraged. This was happening in the first century. But Jesus' answer is for us to repent. If we move on to the church in Thyatira, it says this in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Here comes a recognition. Verse 19, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Church of Thyatira is, is living, is walking the walk. But yet there's a criticism. But I have this against you in verse 20, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And if you do research, you'll find out that one of the things that they offered up to idols uh, through Jezebel was their children. And many of us will say, well, you know, that did not happen in America in 2019. But we all know that there's a plight on our country where there are millions of unborn babies killed in the name of choice. That's the spirit of Jezebel. And you know, it was the church that sat quietly as our country embraced this. It's the church who sat quietly and allowed this to become the epidemic. Because the reality is this. It's not what's going on outside the church. It's what's happening inside the church. Because what we do in here affects everything in our community. But when we don't live up to the word of God... We find ourselves drawn into things that we said we would never do. The admonition was this, wake up or it's the woodshed time. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into a great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. I think that's a prophecy right against the sin of abortion. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Now, folks, this isn't just the churches that we're talking to. This is us as individuals. And what Jesus says is, I know your thoughts. I know your intentions. I know what you're doing. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now to the church of Sardis in chapter 3 and verse 1. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You've heard this in the, the Bible, it's called a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Verse 2, wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then that when you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. Folks, when I say make sure your salvation, this is why. 
Because as, as, as you watch each of these verses being read, as you hear about each of these churches, it talks about some churches will be spared from the tribulation and some won't be. So as we look at this church, there was no recognition. They weren't doing anything good. And the criticism was that they were dead. And the only thing that they could do was to wake up. they get born again or else. Tribulation. The last two churches. Uh, first is uh, Church of Philadelphia. In verse 7 in chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, and who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. They will learn that I have loved you. Folks, this is the, the very story that Jesus shared about the rich man of Lazarus. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, I'm coming soon. Folks, the, the return of our Lord and Savior is imminent. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. This church epitomized the first beatitude, and that is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, that isn't just some words. That isn't just a, a, something that will probably happen in their lifetime. One day, Jesus will set up his kingdom and those that are poor in spirit will be the ones that are ruling and reigning verse 12 the one who conquers i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god never shall he go out of it and i will write on him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which comes down from my god out of heaven and my own new name verse 13 he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches the recognition was that they kept the word and they had not denied the faith there was no criticism for the church of Philadelphia. And the admonition was this. Keep from the hour of tribulation that's going to be brought upon the entire world. The last church, church of Laodicea, there was no recognition. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I know what you're thinking. Well, what about eternal security? I can tell you those that are in the church of Laodicea were never saved. There are people who come to church every Sunday. They listen and then they go home and there's nothing ever happened in their heart. And one day, while they've lived an entire life as a lukewarm Christian. But the reality is they're not a Christian. The reality is that they, they can't lose their salvation because they never had their salvation. And the admonition that comes upon the church of Laodicea is this in verse 17. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Folks, are we, is this not America? Is this not the overall general description of the church in America? Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
Now, if you contrasted the church of Philadelphia, who was poor, they did not have any resources, and they were persecuted. And yet here, the church of Laodicea, they had everything. They had wealth. They had resources. And yet, they were dead. But you know, it's amazing that when God speaks to us, that he always gives us the solution. He doesn't indict us without a way out. In verse 18, I counsel you. Here's what you should do. Buy from me the gold refined by fire so that you may truly be rich. And a white garment so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Now, we see that word naked and we just think up here with no clothes on. The emperor has no clothes. That's not what the Bible means. It means an outer garment. So if I were to take this jacket off, in the old times, they would say that I'm naked. And what he's referring to is the garment that he has promised to those who overcome. It's white. And the church at Laodicea, they think because they're rich, because nothing's going wrong in their life, they think that one day they'll be wearing that white garment. And what Jesus says is, you don't realize this, but you're naked. You'll never see that garment. And the things that you think are riches are as nothing. Matter of fact, um, the the stuff that you you covet, I'm going to make streets out of. And the last thing he said, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This is what we as Christians should be praying for, for our brothers and our sisters, for our families, for our friends for our neighbors is that they would receive that salve and that they would be able to see just where they are in relation to their Lord. Verse 19, he says this, To whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Church, there's an imminent return of Jesus Christ. What is his solution? Be zealous and repent. He says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I've encouraged you to make your salvation sure. How do we do that? Be zealous and repent. Because he goes on to say, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the ultimate issue that we need to realize, and that is that our eternal destiny depends on our relationship Where do you stand in your respect to him? Where do you stand in respect to your eternal destiny? If you have not made sure your salvation, I would not, would not go home today without doing that. You know, Gary shared with us how that uh, it happened to him this morning. He wasn't sure if he was going to get to church. The reality is, you're not sure if you're going to get to go home today. Have you made sure your salvation? As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 